Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Well, we have a special treat in store for us now. This morning, we're going to be listening to an interview that I did with John DeCroyder. Now, you may not know John, but he is the executive director of Alongside, which is an organization that provides professional counseling for Christian pastors and missionaries and leaders and their families. But John also has a passion for biblical history. So another uh, thing that he's involved in is leading study tours to Israel on a regular basis. And earlier this year, I had the opportunity to go on one of these tours, and it was life-changing for me. And you can't be around John for very long without feeling his passion for this material and his gift for making the Bible come alive by helping you understand the culture and the context in which it was written. And while I was on this trip, John taught on the topic of community, which, as you know, is one of our core values here as a church, which is commitment to community. And when I heard this teaching, I thought, man, this is so good. I would love for the whole church to hear this. And I was thinking about possibly adapting this material and and preaching it myself. But I thought, well, since we're in this season where we're meeting online, wouldn't it be so much better if we could hear from John himself? So we're going to be airing this interview in two parts, both this week and next week. And the first part of this interview focuses on the Jewish approach to courtship and marriage and how community uh, fits into all that. But don't worry, this is all, everything he's sharing is applicable to you no matter what stage of life you're in, whether you have a significant other or not. It's something we can all apply. I think you're really going to enjoy this. So without further ado, here's my interview with John DeCroyder. Well, hello, John. Good morning, Todd. Well, thank you for joining us. Just to introduce you a little bit to uh, our, to everybody over here, um, you are the executive director of Alongside, uh, which um, serves missionaries and pastors, um, provides pastoral care for them uh, in a variety of ways, but um, is an amazing ministry there in Cal- near Kalamazoo, Michigan. And right. um, you're also, uh, you lead study tours into the Middle East on a regular basis, um, which is one of the ways that I have gotten to know you is I took one of those trips and it was life-changing. Um, and tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get involved in um, traveling to the Middle East and, and leading those study tours? Sure. Uh, I'm not sure if your congregation is familiar with the name Ray Vanderlaan, um, but Ray Vanderlaan does a tours through Focus on the Family. Um, and so I got on one of those experiences and was blown away because I went to Bible school. I got my degrees and I did not know most of the contextual uh, content he was giving us. And I was frankly, I was angry. I'm like, how, how in the world have I not known this? And so a couple of years later, my wife and I got to go uh, and we went, she had the same experience I did. And an opportunity came for us to go live in Jerusalem for a few years and to get our master's degree from Jerusalem University College. And just, just for the pure joy of learning, uh, we had no plans, no desires for that. In fact, my wife specifically said, John, just so you know, we are not leading tours. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Now, uh, 20-some tours later, um, we've, we've changed our course on that. But it's been such a, a thrill for us to take people to Israel, show them around, and to experience this is, the, this is where Jesus walked. This is where he was. What does that mean for us as a follower of him 
if if that's what my understanding, a better understanding of what he was saying there, how does that impact my walk today uh, in 2020? Right. Well, I'm glad that uh, Melanie changed her mind on your uh, <laughs> on allowing yeah. you to do a tour. Um, it, it was a it was life changing for me. I think I felt the same way that awesome. you expressed. Just you know, like how did I not know this? How, yeah. um, it has yeah. made the Bible come alive to me at a different level, having been there. So, awesome. and we've we've mentioned Melanie, that's your wife, and then you've got three daughters, yes. correct? Three daughters, Bryn, Kate, and Megan. Uh, Bryn is fifteen, and here in Michigan, she's now allowed to start driving. Wow. Uh, so that has been a very, that's been a life-changing event for me right there. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm grateful for life. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> that's been going good. She's been doing great. Uh, middle daughter, Kate, and youngest daughter, Megan. Uh, Megan's 11. We're, we are currently, as a church, working through, we're talking about the values that we have as a church. And one of those values is a commitment to church community, to biblical community. And, um, when I was when as I've been thinking about that, one of the the um, teachings I heard you give uh, when we were in Israel was about community, and um, really that's what we'd love for you to talk about this morning is is what you've discovered as you kind of look at the cultural context in the Bible and and how um, the, the 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 culture of community that Jesus lived his life in. So um, why don't you take us into that? Sure. So uh, one of the questions that came to my mind was, why would Jesus come when he did? He, he, his salvation message was for every culture, every person who will ever live. Why come at a time where he didn't even have the benefit of what we're doing right now? We were talking across the ocean on Skype. I'm pretty sure people would have tuned in from all over the world to listen to Jesus' message, yet he didn't even have the benefit of a microphone. Uh, I'm pretty sure Jesus would have had the ability of, I'm sure Jesus, someone would have said to Jesus, hey, whenever you need my Learjet, you just let me know, Jesus, you got it. Yet he chose to come at a time where he walked. What was so significant about first century Palestine uh, that this is when the message for every person who will ever live were to come? And so I started diving into that a little bit. And if you look at Israel, the land of Israel itself, it's actually pretty small. Uh, now, I live in Michigan here, so my geography is Michigan-based, but you could put Israel into Lake Michigan and have water all the way around. It's really not that big. 50 miles, of course, here I'm miles, you're kilometers, miles, 100, 150 miles. It's not that large, uh, yet look at how significant this place has been. And, and one of those things I think is helpful when we start understanding the idea of community, I think community is a big part of that. Um, and I think what would be most helpful for us is just to walk through in what did a wedding look like in the first century? Uh, weddings are very communal events. I mean, this is where communities get together. And so what would a wedding look like in, um, in Jesus' day? So, Todd, if you remember, we're at Corzin. We're standing there together, and uh, we did this in the courtyard. Unfortunately, we can't do this with your church right now, but uh, when you, when you uh, use the pictures from the slideshow here, you can see here we are standing in the courtyard of Corzin, um, in this courtyard, which I'm standing in the middle of, this is um, this is a typical courtyard. This would be one house that lived here. Here you have a, a slide of Capernaum, and this this again is one household. And archaeologists look at this and they say 150 to 200 people lived in this house. So this is one large home here. Uh, and here's an artist rendering of what that would have looked like. Uh, again, this is Capernaum on the shores, northern wow. shores of the Sea of Galilee. 
So, so 150 to 200 people all living in the same house. And when you talk about a courtyard, you're talking about the courtyard of the house, not like the courtyard of a of an office building or, you know, some like yeah. a marketplace. This is the courtyard of the house. Right. Right. So we're talking uh, patriarch, uh, the, 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 the patriarch and matriarch of the house, and then any sons that they would have and all their wives and their families and then their kids and their families. So all the sons would stay with the house. The girls would get married off. And so, and I'm not saying this is right. This is just how it was in that day. Uh, but boys were considered, if you could put a value, more valuable because they stayed with the community where girls would go and live with someone else's community. Um, so, yeah, the sons were important. So when we lived in, in Israel, our, our taxi driver, his name was Muhammad. You could guess he was Arab. And uh, Muhammad, he told us about his household. And so he lived on uh, the, the fourth floor. So mom and dad lived on the first floor. His oldest brother lived on the second floor with his family. The next oldest brother lived on the third floor with his family. And Muhammad, he lived on the top floor with his family, being the youngest. And they still had re-rods sticking up on the top of the house just in case mom and dad had another son. A daughter would get married off. So I know in many places around the world that's still the way it functions, uh, not very often in our Western culture uh, do you see that happening. So. Just for fun, we're going to walk through, and since I know Todd and Lauren, we're going to marry you guys off. Never mind, you already have kids, <laughs> uh, but we'll just pretend. And uh, so what would happen? And so in, in the first century, uh, Todd, you would never decide to get married, but it would be your dad that would say, okay, son, it's time for you to get married. And so what would happen is your dad would gather the whole community together. So let's just pretend as a church— we're the household. We're all related. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to marry you off. And so your dad calls us all together, and we start talking about what good options might be for you. And maybe we would throw out different names because, of course, you would never choose for yourself who would make a good wife. We would choose for you who would make a good wife for you because we recognize it's not just two people getting married, but it's two communities that are getting married. And so as a community, we start talking about that. So we might throw out different names. Uh, what about Ruth down in, in uh, Bethsaida? Oh, Ruth. And we start throwing out Ruth. Well, Ruth's family didn't go to Jerusalem for Passover last year. Oh, that would never work. So we throw out a different name. And so maybe someone will say, well, what about Lauren uh, from Capernaum? We start talking about Lauren's family. and Oh, yeah, what a great godly family. Of course, that would be good. So we start throwing out those different names, and um, this is where we, we, we agree on that. Now, the question would be, in this culture, who gets married? So, Todd, you would be a little older. You'd be more a little established. Uh, boys would typically be a little older when they got married, but girls, they'd get married, as we, we talked about in, in Corzin. they get married when they reach menstruation, right? Because... The Bible says, be fruitful and multiply. So as soon as Lauren was now able to bear children, that is when she would be married off. Well, of course, the question would be, how are we supposed to know this, right? <laughs> uh, so back in that culture, wine is always a symbol of joy. And uh, so that you had the, the, the grapes would be harvested in September, October. And any girl of marrying age, they would be now one stomping the grapes. So maybe your dad would start recognizing, or maybe you'd be like, hey, dad, let's go walk around and start seeing 
the grape stomping ceremonies. As whole communities, you get together, they'd stomp grapes together. Because what are you doing? Well, you're starting to check out what are your options, right? <laughs> so these girls would be totally dressed in white, and they would stomp the grapes. This is how we know. And, and this is done differently in different cultures. The Amish, I know we have Amish that live near us. They, they paint their front door a different color. If they have a girl now that's of marrying age, they paint that door. Wow. Uh, not embarrassing at all, right? You know, I, <laughs> as I have daughters that are reaching those ages, they would be mortified if right. I painted the front door differently. If, if uh, right, uh, you know. So anyway, indicating to the whole world, okay, we're, we're we're that age. So they would start to do that. So we start you as we start throwing out names. You're thinking, uh, Lauren, Lauren, Lauren. Oh yeah, she had good, she had nice ankles, right? Because that's all <laughs> you saw of her. Um, and as so we start throwing out those ideas, so okay, we agree. Lauren's a fine choice for Todd. So Todd, you and your dad would walk down uh, to Capernaum to meet with Lauren and her father, and the four of you would talk terms. What are you coming to the conclusion of? You're recognizing the fact that if Lauren is now going to come live with our household, there's an economic loss to her family. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about a bride price. Now, we're not, we're not buying her. We're basically just recognizing the economic loss to her family by her now coming to live with us. Now, your dad is not going to try to figure out how little they, you can pay for Lauren, but really how much you can pay for Lauren, because this is an honor-shame culture. And by how much money we bring to the table, we are demonstrating our family's strength. And so you're trying to get as much as you can, how much you can pay for Lauren. And so you talk terms. And, and we read in the Bible, Jesus' teaching says this, you are not your own, you are bought with a price, honor God with your bodies. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then once terms would become negotiated with, a glass of wine would be handed to you, Todd, and you would start first, and you would say to Lauren, I will give my very life for you if necessary. And you would drink that wine to signify, I will give my life for you if I have to. And then you would pass the cup to, to Lauren. Now, Lauren has a choice. She's not a silent partner in this. She's not like she has a voice. If she's not interested. She refuses the wine and the deal's off. Now, of course, this is Todd we're talking about here. So, of course, she would eagerly take that glass. She would take that <laughs> glass of wine and she would take it in. Uh, Todd, I will give my very life for you if necessary. And what did Jesus say at the very last supper? This cup is the cup of the new covenant of my blood, which I give for you. And he extends that glass of wine to us. He, of course, it, it was necessary for you and for me. And so he offers that glass to us. Are we going to take it? Are we going to mm-hmm. accept that covenant? Are we going to enter into that covenant relationship with him or not? He passes it on. So, of course, Lauren drinks the glass at that point. Uh, Lauren and Todd, you're considered betrothed. You would have to get a certificate of divorce to break this. Now, you would probably not see each other until the wedding day, but you're considered betrothed at this point. I think we can think of Joseph and Mary would have gone through some sort of ceremony like this um, and how it would have been such a significant deal. Like, what do you mean you're pregnant? Because Joseph hadn't probably even seen her so right. until this point. That's, that would have been a big deal. Now, so this is so betrothed is more than in, what we would think of as engagement. Absolutely, it's like in order to break a betrothal, there's got to be a divorce. Yeah, okay. you're, you're, it, it's a covenant relationship at this point that okay. you've entered into, and so it's pretty serious. It's pre, it's a pretty big deal to break that. Okay, not as big as the marriage itself, 
of right. course. But, right. but still, nonetheless, it would require a, a, a certificate of divorce for. Wow. So this really brings a lot of um, a perspective on what the metaphors Jesus is using with with the Last Supper and the, the, the uh, communion yeah. cup and and how, in a sense, we're connected to him. In a sense, we're betrothed to him awaiting that consummation yeah. day when we'll Absolutely. be with him. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's imagery that's used all throughout Scripture. And, wow. and so it just makes sense. This is this is the type of intimate relationship that he is wants to enter in with us. And the question is, are you going to do it or not? Yeah. And how much are you going to invest in that or not? Right. Right. Okay. So continue. You're talking about, so yeah. there's this betrothal that's happened. Betrothal, it happens. Of course, Lauren says, yes. Now, Todd, you and your dad come back to our community. And of course, we're waiting. What'd she say? We're excited. <laughs> we want to know. And of course, there's great celebration. But now, Todd, you've got to build a room under the house. Because mm-hmm. uh, you've got to have a place for you and your bride to come and live. And so uh, you you would have all the other duties that you normally would have in our community. But, you know, in the heat of the day, you can usually see the, the, the young men who are betrothed because they're the ones working in the heat of the day or late in the evening hours because that's when you have to work on your on your house. And I don't know, Todd, if your dad would have been anything like my dad, but be like, you know, Todd, Todd, this is for your bride. Is that wall straight enough? You know, and they'd be kind of. And you can maybe even hear the aggravation in the groom's voice. You'd ask, hey, when's the big day? When's the wedding? And, and you can maybe hear a little bit of the frustration of, uh, I don't know when, when that's going to happen. But if you remember Jesus talking about, do not let your hearts be troubled. I go to my, go to my father's house. In my father's house, there are many, many rooms is a better translation. The old song talks about mansions. No, I don't think we get our own mansion. We just get a room onto the house, and he's going to prepare a place. It's this imagery that he's using. Okay. We're now his as, as his betrothed bride, and he's going to prepare that place for us so that someday when he comes back. So you can hear asking, uh, Todd, when's the big day? I don't know. Not even the angels in heaven know, but the, nor the son, but it's only the father knows when he chooses it. And of course, it echoes the word of Matthew 24, uh, 36, where we realize that, okay, only God knows when that second coming is going to be, when that consummation of the marriage, if you will, is going to be. He is the one that chooses when that's going to happen, not us. And that can be any time. It could be at midnight. It could be during the middle of the day. Whenever the father decides this is when the ceremony is. So now you can see the... The, the, you know, Lauren's friends are helping her get ready. The, her parents are helping her get ready. And you can imagine the, the concern. I mean, she just is a young 13, 14-year-old girl who is now going to move away from her household forever. That's a big deal. So she's getting ready for that. And then you could say, okay, at midnight, the cry ran out. Here comes the bridegroom. Come, let us go meet him. And again, it's this imagery of it could be in the middle of the night where the trumpets come. And so Todd, your dad decides... Today's the day. Let's go get your bride. So we drop everything we do. We go down with shofars and trumpets and singing and celebration as we go down as as a celebration to go down and get Lauren and her family. And now we all come back to our household and um, we come back to the to, to the courtyard and we have the ceremony of the hoopah. We have a celebration that's going on. And then Todd, you and Lauren would go to, to the room that you have gone and prepared uh, for her. And you'd consummate the marriage. <laughs> While we wait, 
no, no pressure, right? No pressure and, at and all. While this is going on, the best man would sit outside of that uh, that bridal chamber, and he would wait and listen for the groom's voice to come to let us know, so that the best man could let the whole community know. And we have a marriage, you know. So you you have this this way. Then the, then the celebration could continue. And if you remember, John the Baptist talks about that the bride belongs to the bridegroom. A friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for his voice. It is full of joy when he hears his voice. I would suggest that John the Baptist is the best man, right? In the scenario, and he's the one that's preparing the way and to let us know. Now, the great thing is Deuteronomy 24 says when a man's been married, he's got a whole year honeymoon. He is not to go off to war. He's not to have any extra duties laid upon him. He's supposed to be home, to be free, to stay home, to bring joy to his wife. Awesome. A year honeymoon, right? Yeah. Now the room becomes part of the community. And so after that one year, now that room becomes part of the community property. And so you and Lauren would move into the same sleeping room as the rest of us. Okay. Then that room that you made now becomes extra storage room, extra kitchen, extra right. whatever. Because because there's no, we share everything. There's no ownership of special, no, it's all, it's all of ours. Okay. We live in a community with one another. So it's not my room that I built. It's just no. it's my family's room to use as right. they want. And you we just enjoy it for the first year. But yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. So we just kind of get it temporarily. And then after that, it becomes the family's property. And, and we now sleep in the same quarters as the rest of the family. Right. Right. So just to give you a sense of this is, I think, what the disciples understood to be community. When Jesus is talking about community, this is the interrelation this this sort of intimacy that you have with your whole household this is what jesus had in, had in mind now keep in mind 11 of the 12 disciples came from this region with the exception of one right judas iscariot judas ish man scariot which is a village south of jerusalem that didn't quite live in community in the same way that those people around the galilee lived okay and i think there, there's there's a difference that's there and of course we see that come into play a little bit but right I, there's, there's this level of community so of course that brings a lot of questions to mind i would imagine to yes to antioch as you're thinking well wait a minute i thought the bible says be fruitful and multiply <laughs> that sounds like an awful recipe for being fruitful <laughs> and multiply but someone in the community would say hey hey todd you probably have a brother put his arm around it you 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 and lauren haven't asked for the room in a while you would basically say to the whole the whole household hey Laura and I want to use the room this afternoon. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, right? I mean, yep. that, that's an off-topic conversation. You don't ask that. I mean, that is right. not something you ask. But a brother would come along and say, hey, you guys haven't asked for the room in a while. You guys doing okay? Because usually that, that's a part of the, a marriage relationship that falls along the wayside if things are not okay. And, and now we're, we're addressing concerns or issues within the marriage early on as opposed to wait until they're really exploding and blowing up and, and really have some big issues here. And, and I wonder when we start thinking about community, we need to ask some of those questions. I'm saying in an appropriate right. way, of course. Right. I mean, not just anyone in your congregation, sure. Todd, it's probably appropriate to ask you, hey, Todd, if you've <laughs> the room in a while, that's not probably great. You're welcome. You could hear, hear that, Antioch, that's not for everyone. <laughs> But I think there's some people within the congregation, maybe not necessarily within the congregation, but within your community and that need to ask those questions. 
are you guys doing okay? Right. Because for way too long, I have held people off at an arm's distance. There are questions that are appropriate for you to ask me, and there are those other questions that that's not that's not really appropriate. We don't ask those things. Right. And I think we get ourselves in trouble because we get ourselves siloed. We get ourselves, and now uh, we we feel isolated and alone. And there's nobody else that can come alongside and help me process through those things. So I think when we talk about community, I think we need to bring some of those questions. Not only intimacy and marriage, but it's other right. questions that we need to ask those things. I think in a in a, in a community like this, internet pornography is going to be a whole lot harder. Right. Because you have people that are just in your business. And they're going to ask you those questions. Yeah, I've got a good. Fr- I'm in a mentor relationship with a good friend, and uh, for a long time now, and he would ask me a series of questions every week, and then he would ask me the question, John, what question do you would hope I don't ask? And I'm asking <laughs> that question now, and I just don't have a good poker face, and so he goes, okay, John, what is it? Yeah, and I, then I have to spill, right? I have to share what's going on. So I hate that question, um, <laughs> but it's good, right? It good. I mean. My friend Mark has my best interest in mind. He, you know, it's, it, it, and I think we got to look back to it. So I think as we we start talking about community, this this needs to be part of the conversation. How are we going to allow that to impact our relationships? Wow, I mean that that is fascinating on a couple of different levels. One, it's just it's always fascinating to me to hear how not bashful uh, the Jewish culture was about sexuality. They, it was just a part of life and um, and much more, even in a culture like ours, which is kind of made an idol out of sexuality, there's still kind of a, a, a we don't really talk about it, um, at least not with family. Um, it's sure. it's oh, something sure. that's hidden. And uh, and, the, and this was something that was expected and it was celebrated and in, in, I think in a much healthier way than maybe we see in our culture today. Um, that's fascinating. But also, I love the idea that, that it's... Um, this is a, a that that we, in terms of having community, can ask those hard questions. It's not necessarily having to do with sexuality, but just whatever those hard questions are before things get to the point where where there's a breakdown of some sort. Yes, yes, and and, and it's interesting to me that that I had a, a gentleman actually who's from Africa at alongside I was I was giving a, a teaching like this a couple of years ago, and and the group was was. Like, oh, that's weird. I can't imagine, you know. Right. And he's like, "That's normal because this is how we do it right. in his culture in Africa." So, it, it, I, I, I think that we've gone a long ways of we're we're probably the weird ones, right? <laughs> you know, yes. the, the arranging our own marriages and 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 dating alone and isolation and that and that's just it breeds unhealthy practices and i think to pull other people in so you, we're even in the dating process where sure having my friends ask john have you noticed that right you know that would have saved me a lot of grief as i think back to my younger years of if i would just had friends or i would break up with a girl or a girl would break up with me and, and my friends would be like oh yeah i can't believe you're dating her I'm like <laughs> <laughs> why would you say something you know why why would you let me you know where's love is blind right right so, right yeah Right. Oh, that's fascinating to, to understand. That's the kind of community that surrounded the whole courtship and marriage um, and family life. I, did, I have a couple short quotes here. I just want to share. I'm sure. familiar with the author and songwriter Andrew Peterson, mm-hmm. um, but he he wrote, he 
he, he shared this quote um, in a book on community, actually. He says, it's, there's no doubt in my mind that what shaped me in my work more than any particular talent on my part has been living out a calling in the midst of a Christ-centered community. And so he's taken great strides of he writes music within the context of community. Even writing his books, it's been in the context of community relationship with one another, bouncing ideas off of one another has been really helpful to him. And then this is an old quote from John Ortberg uh, that I came across, and, and I'm summarizing it because I'm trying to remember it from memory. I can't find it. I'll be honest. I can't find it again. Uh, but he, he says something along these lines. You've heard it said that there's a God-shaped hole in all, all of us. And he says, going back to the creation account, that when God looked down at Adam and said that it was not good, as he looks at Adam being alone, apparently there was something within the loneliness experience with Adam, even in the garden, the perfect garden of Eden, mm -hmm. that there was a man-shaped hole that God himself chooses not to fill. Right. And there is a need, an innate need in all of us that Adam noticed right away that needs to be for in this relationship with community that even though we had a perfect relationship with god there needs to be something else if i can dare say such a thing and yeah. so i think as we look at this concept of community we need to engage in those relationships so as you're talking about marriage and and a wedding um and, and it occurs to me you've already mentioned this that you know w when god created adam and had him in the garden he's living living in paradise and he's in perfect union with god and yet God says, it's not good for man to be alone, so I can create a companion for him. And, and, and that's just fascinating to me because this is before the fall, before sin right. has entered the picture, and yet it's still not good for man to be alone. And, and often, you know, we, we might think of that in terms of marriage and romance, romance and that kind of thing. But, but really, what God is saying is, it's just not good for people to be alone, full stop. I, I need companions for them. Right. Right. And that's such a big deal. I know it can be such a challenge for those that are, are not married. Hey, we're talking about this marriage again. That's just one relationship that Jesus chose to use in this context, but it absolutely is. It's relationship with one another. Um, we are made in the image of a triune God. We are made in an image of a God who is in perfect unity with himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we also need to be in relationship with one another if we are going to be whole, if we are going to be well ourselves. What's one of the worst punishments that we give to criminals? We put them in solitary confinement. Yeah. Why is that such a big deal? Because it's a big deal. That's how whoever decided to do that for the first time, they knew how devastating and detrimental that is to the person, how awful that experience is to be totally alone. We need to seek out relationship and to be in relationship with one another. It doesn't have to be romantic. We, we have idolized romance in, right. in our world. We have, I, 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 I think that we can be called into account to that. No, no, no. Yeah, that's great, of course. I love, I love my wife, I love being married, it's a wonderful thing. But I had some great companions before I was married that I, I were so significant to my own well-being. Right. Um, right. And I still, need, I still need relationships now. It's not that I'm married. Okay, I don't need any other friendships. Are you kidding me? No, I need a lot of other relationships. Right. My wife needs other people. She, sometimes she's, I'm going away now with some of my girlfriends. You got the kids. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, you know, so it's a needed thing.
I, right. I cannot provide for my wife everything that she needs. We need relationships. Right. And I think maybe we're hopefully more aware of that than ever after this season of lockdown and everything that's uh, happened. It has been a form of solitary confinement for some people. Yes. And it's brutal. Yeah, it is. It is. Wow. That's so good. Well, isn't it helpful when somebody can explain to you the context and the culture in which the Bible was written? It just gives such a greater depth of understanding to all that Jesus taught and all that he said and did. But I want to conclude today just by going back to something John said near the end of that interview. He said this, we need to be in relationship with one another if we're going to be whole. And I really think that's true. I mean, there's lots of good reasons to have community in your life, but certainly one of them is that it makes us more whole. It makes us more like Jesus. But let's just be honest. Community isn't easy. I, I often use the analogy of two porcupines huddling together on a cold night. They're, they're, they're drawn together by body heat, and, and, but when they come together, they're, they're repelled by their own quills, you know? And that's kind of what community is like. We're, we're, we know that there's something good about community that, that draws us to it, but, but when we're actually in community, we kind of get poked by one another's issues and, and brokenness, and, and you know, other people's issues are impacting us, and it's painful, and, and, and our issues are impacting them, and it's painful for them. So community can often be painful, it can be hurtful, it can be disappointing, it, and it can be scary as a result. And as a, lot, and as a result, a lot of us are put off by the idea of being in community. But I think it's those very challenges that are the reason that, that God brings us into community. It's those very challenges that mature us as believers, that, that cause us to learn how to love and be loved, to forgive and be forgiven, to, to love people that are hard to love, and to learn how to serve and care for other people as yourself. And it's through that process that we're made whole, that we're made more like Jesus. And John mentioned that he has somebody in his life that regularly asks him, hard questions, the questions that he doesn't want to be asked. And, and, and I think that's one beautiful aspect of community is having people in your life that have your permission to ask you the hard questions, to point out your blind spots, to, uh, to, to challenge you, to tell you no, to, to be able to say to you, hey, I don't think this is such a good idea. Do you have anybody like that in your life? If you don't, I want to encourage you this morning to take the initiative and invite somebody to speak into your life, somebody that you trust, somebody that you know loves you and has your best interest in mind. You know, that kind of, of uh, vulnerability and honesty doesn't happen naturally. It, it takes initiative on your part. And so I want to encourage you, whether it's somebody in this church or somebody that you trust that's not a part of this church, it, it really doesn't matter, but inviting somebody to speak into your life, to point out your blind spots, all of those things. And, and it requires you to, you know, to, to give them permission 
and say, you know, I'm not, gonna, I'm not just going to reject any feedback that you give me. I'm not just going to blow it off. It, it doesn't work if you're not willing to receive what they have to say. But if you don't know of somebody that's in this church or you don't know where to start with finding somebody that can speak into your life, then I want to encourage you to get involved in our life groups. Life groups are a great place to practice the value of community uh, in our church. And, you know, life, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes patience. It takes time. But over time, as you get to know people in your group, you begin to care for them. They begin to care for you, begin to carry one another's burdens, and, and you build trust with one another, and then you, begin, you can begin to speak into each other's lives. That's the beauty of community, and that's what Christianity is really, the, that's the context in which Christianity is supposed to function. We're not supposed to be isolated lone rangers. That, that never works. Christianity is meant to be lived in the context of community. So I really want to encourage you to step into that. And I know that there's maybe pain that you've experienced in the past, but I believe it's, it's through, you might have been wounded by community in the past, but I believe God will use community to heal you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have not called us to walk this journey of faith alone, but you have given us brothers and sisters in Christ to, to live it out with. And Lord, in this individualistic culture, help us, God, to see our need for community. Help us to prioritize it in our lives. And help us, Lord, to make it a lifestyle. And for those who have been wounded by past experiences with community, Lord, I ask that you would heal those, heal their hearts and give them the courage to step back into godly community, healthy community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.